1: Hi everyone welcome to passive income through multifamily real estate I'm your co-host Lolita also joined by Kyle joining us today Lane Kawaoka Lane thanks for coming on the show how are you
2: good thanks for having me guys
1: good nice to have you on the show here's a little bit about Lane he is a full-time engineer who invests passively in real estate from Honolulu Hawaii and has a portfolio that consists of twenty one hundred units Yes, that's right. 2,100 units. So that's super impressive. Lane, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
2: Yeah. So today I, um, I still work at my engineering job uh, full time and I just invest passively in deals, um, slowly getting rid of my single family homes that I started out with. That's kind of what the, the snapshot today is.
3: Okay. Awesome. Well, so thanks for coming on. And um, so you mentioned you're a passive investor. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to be passive versus active?
2: Well, I, I kind of went in it like a few years ago. I had built up a portfolio of 11 single family homes um, that I started since 2009. And this is kind of like 2015, I guess, 16. I kind of got into this mindset of like, well, the single family homes just aren't scalable. And, um, you know, for every, for those 10, 11 houses, I was getting like one eviction a year, and then a few big issues that happened from time to time, which was fine, right? Like, you know, it's probably management to deal with that, that day to day. But, you know, it was all for what $3,000 a passive cash flow. And obviously, my goals were a little higher than that. And just doing the math that was at 10 properties. I needed like 30 properties. So three X, mm-hmm. you know, three evictions a year, nine, 10 big issues that happened. And that was a little bit too much. So I went into the multifamily space, um, started to uh, learn about that, got a mentor and um, started doing that for like 18 months. But I just started banging my head against the wall cause nothing made sense even in 2016, 17. And then I was like, "Whoa, who am I kidding myself? I was living in Seattle at the time. I'm not there to go, Connect with brokers, take them to the Dallas Mavericks game. And, um, you know, just realize that I, I was kind of to that critical mass point where it made more sense for me to go passive.
3: Okay, great. Yeah, I, I'm actually going through the same thing right now with my single family homes. I've got about 10 of them and uh, three of them are vacant right now, right? So there goes all my cash flow. So um, pretty quickly, you learned that, you know, single family really is tough to scale in, which is why we focus on multi family as well.
2: So. yeah i think the hard part is like i mean that that's kind of you know one goes vacant now you're out but i think the big thing why i'm out is like you have these big variabilities in repairs like there were a couple of times i had like a tenant move out and it was like 10 20 grand to like get it back online and yeah it's just it's like like a roller coaster that stuff right yeah
3: okay cool so since you passively invest, when you listen to all the podcasts out there right now, you talk, you hear a lot of guys talk about how many units they have, and you know you kind of gauge the number of units by the success they have. But there's so much more involved in the operations of a multifamily investment, especially from a passive. You know the things that you're looking at. Can you talk a little bit about the performance piece of the process, and maybe how some of your investments have recently done from a perspective of a passive investor?
2: Yeah, I mean, perspective of a passive investor, I don't care, right? Like I'm passive. I do. It's like I'm making calculated bets all up front, right? So half of it is the the person. What's their track record? What's the integrity? So I I like to work with people I've actually met in real life. Um, So I I kind of join masterminds and go to conferences, so you know to meet these people, but mostly to build my limited partner and other colleagues and network, right? Because you talk to a syndicator, they're going to give you the same spiel every single time. It, it's building connections with other investors in those deals that are sort of disinterested. They're going to tell you what, what's really what's up. Um, so that's half of it. The other half is like the numbers, you know, what, is, what's, what are the assumptions being used for the deal? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of stick to more of the like the stabilized deals. So it's pretty much kind of boring. You, know, you get the cash flow you know 1 2% quarter and then just kind of just ticks along it's nothing that spectacular. And, and so have your stabilized deals performed as you suspected or expected? Um, yeah, I mean for the most part, right? I mean the cash flow is come in, I mean kind of performed too well, you kind of wonder if it's a Ponzi scheme or not.
0: <laughs>
3: right.
2: right. So, I mean the units are getting upgraded and uh you know, you watch the occupancy level. You don't really want it to dip down below 80 85%. But um, you know, at some respect, it's it's better to rip off the bandaid and to bump those rents, get the people out, than than to optimize for cash flow. But I realized a while back ago that I'm not, I don't like the operation side, so I'm gonna stay myself out and focus on due diligence of people and then the deals up front. Mm. Got it.
3: Right. Which is what everyone needs to do, right? Whether you're passive or active, you definitely need to do the due diligence piece on the front end. But at that point you kind of just let it go and let the operator do their thing.
2: Right. Right. I mean, I, I try and spread it around too. Like I, I try not to work with an operator too much. Um, I don't know. I just, I just have a feeling that at some point things will go bad for somebody and maybe not in the deals, but maybe in other facets of their life. Right. Like, you know, you see everybody like Jeff Bezos is going to do some tough stuff right now. Right. Like at some point th- people are going to choose their families over their partners. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just going to happen. I mean, I, so I'm going to diversify between who I work with to kind of cover myself. Yeah, that's perfect. Awesome. OK, so you have
3: a podcast of your own and on there you talk a lot about your three rules of investing and uh, how to risk? Uh, you talk sorry. a little bit more about that
2: yeah i mean i like my podcast is a little bit more geared towards like just general investing and wealth stuff um so a lot of like the people that i used to hang out with back in the day in college you know they're all screwing around with bitcoin and stuff like that <laughs> so the, the rules are kind of more high level like you know the first one is you know it has to be a tangible asset so like real estate is that right um next one it has to be leverageable. You know, the real estate, we, we get these Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, sweet loans that um, some of them are non-recourse, which is awesome. And then the, the last component is that there's cash flow, right? So like, that's why you stay away from all the stocks and stuff like that, because they don't produce cash flow. Um, some nuances there, like gold is a hard, tangible asset, but it's not leverageable, nor does it really produce income. But, you know, kind of real estate is one of those that kind of checks all those boxes
3: yeah absolutely. we have three rules as well, and they're pretty similar. It's number one, it needs the cash flow. number two, you need to have enough money and reserves to you know weather the storm, and number three, you need to obtain long term debt so yeah um okay, cool. So since you do this on a while you have a full time job, what would you tell someone that says that they have no time to invest in real estate?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you can keep doing what you're doing then right, and I leave it at that. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why I kind of made the podcast because all these people, I would waste all my time telling them how to get a, a rental property or even a turnkey rental property and nobody listens. Like if you're not willing to put in the effort and, you know, t- pick up the phone and build connections and I'm sorry, like just go to work for the next four years. And because we know what will happen, right? Just calculate your worth at eight, 10% growth a year. And we know what's going to happen. Eventually you will probably lose your job or something <laughs> like that or.
3: Okay. Well, how much time do you think you spend a week on your passive investments?
2: Um, I mean, I'm going to have to, I'm kind of different these days. I, I would say like when I was doing the 10 single family home rentals, I would say I spent maybe about 10 hours a week on it. You know, a few hours every, you know, a couple, at least a couple times a week and then a chunk on the weekends. But looking back, I wasted so much time screwing around with stupid spreadsheets and I would make all these geeky things that engineers make that really only half of that time, if that was actually useful. Um, you know, I should have spent my time just connecting with more investors and figure out who are, who are the property managers are using and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's passive investing. If, if you have to quit your job to do it, you're doing it wrong. Right, and that's exactly
3: my point. If you want to passively the invest, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it with a full time job. What What are some of the things you look at when you're going into a deal?
2: Um. Yeah. So the, you know the, kind of mentioned it like the people first, right? Like I think that's what is the hardest thing. But let's just say you just dive right in. You're super trusting, and you're just going to take a chance, right? Just going to go for it. Um, in terms of the deal numbers, I look at like the the rent increases per year. I don't want to see anything higher than 3% these days. Uh, Yardi Matrix just came out today. They said the national growth, rental growth was like 3%. But, you know, they lump in high growth areas like the Bay Area and Las Vegas. So I would say for a lot of like the secondary tertiary markets, you're really looking at, at 2.5 at the very best. And then, you know, other more fringy areas like like I got a deal in Des Moines. Like I would put that one at like 1%, 2 one and a half percent rent increases per year. So that's that's one of the big ones. And then the cap rate reversion, delta, and then what are they using for occupancy, full occupancy assumptions? Those are kind of the three ones I kind of spot check.
3: Okay. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about the cap rate reversion? I think that's one of the most important factors when you're looking at a deal. And I just think that there's just so many rules of thumb. And I think it's the one thing that controls the entire deal as far as your returns are concerned.
2: Yeah, it definitely is one of the, the biggest levers. And like, you know, if you play around with the spreadsheet enough, um, you know, so the, the cap rate is supposed to be, your, it's your version or your exit cap rate is what we're talking about here. It, what you're doing is you're trying to guess what kind of a market you're selling it, whether it be three, five, 10 years in the future. So because we don't, we don't freaking know, right? We're going to be super uh, conservative and we're going to guess that it's going to be a softer market. So, you know, just there's a lot of rule of thumbs, like you said, but like, you know, one rule of thumb I go off of is like for class C, bump it up by 1%. So let's say you're going in and the cap rate is five and a half cap today for that asset. Um, Not for that particular asset per se, but the market cap for that asset type. So you better see the reversion cap rate of plus one, which is 6.5%. So pretty it's pretty huge i mean if you if you play around with that number and you just do a plus 0.5 and make it a six percent reversion cap rate and you could probably bump up your five-year returns like 20 30 percent just by playing around with that thing right
3: exactly you can make a spreadsheet say whatever you want so i just think the number one thing like you said is just to make sure that the reversion cap rate is conservative when you're speculating on something like that you've got to be conservative so okay cool so what would you say the top three things you would consider when reviewing a sponsor's assumptions or deal packages? And you kind of touched on the reversion cap rate, but when the deal comes across your desk, what else are you looking for?
2: Well, the first question is like, do I know this person personally, right? Don't, don't work with anybody. You don't know, like, or trust. Um, I broke that rule my first one. I went into the deal as a, as a sort of LP and then pretty much lost all the money because like later on I found out the guy was a shyster and then three years later... The LLC went bankrupt conveniently. Ouch. Um, so the first thing is you always work with people you know, like or trust. Um, so that's kind of the first one. Um, and then the last one was that we didn't touch upon was like the the occupancy. And sometimes, like you know, syndicators like to play games with like the the occupancy will be like ninety ninety five percent, but then they're not showing any economic vacancy. So I guess if you want to get down to it, it's the economic uh, vacancy that you want to ask or figure out, you know, at the end of the day. So it, it, all this stuff is like a constant cannon mouse game, right? It's, it's very difficult.
3: Right. Well, can you explain to listeners what the difference between economic vacancy is and um, the uh, what am I missing here?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, the, like the, the regular uh, the regular you know, most people think of vacancy or occupancy, right? Like the property is 90% occupied or hundred percent. Let's say it's hundred percent occupied. Right. And, but unfortunately like 30% of those people are deadbeats, not even paying you. Right. So then it would be 70% economic uh, occupancy or vacancy. I don't know however you want to say it, but that's the true um, output of that property. So there's, it, it's kind of like you're a doctor, right? Like when you're looking at the numbers, you're, you're trying to determine, like, these are the symptoms. And those are the things as an operator, like this is kind of really important that you're like, hey, like, it's really high occupancy. But nobody, a lot of these people are deadbeats, right? Maybe the seller just filled it in at the very last second, right? Or maybe, you know, you start to peel back the, the layers of the onion. This is where the detective work comes in yep Lessons. exactly right yeah
3: I mean it really the physical occupancy doesn't mean anything. it's all about what the property makes and and what the bottom line is so all right, cool so uh is gonna take us into the final four questions
1: uh yeah well, I actually I had one more question yeah, uh go for it. Lane, do you invest or passively invest in any market anywhere or uh, do you have like specific criteria when it comes to that? Or as long as the deal reach, reaches your um, returns, you'll just invest?
2: Yeah, I'm not a big market, like, you know, certain markets kind of guy. Like, I think as long as the, the, there's a story there, there's an economic driver coming in, like, you know, big, bigger employer, a set of bigger employers. And if the um, the population is going up, right? Like, you know, like right now I'm looking at like single family homes in like Detroit, and I'm a little I'm kind of like scratching my head a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like it's just We've hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard like anywhere else to find even that 1% rent evaluation. Mm-hmm. And I guess you gotta kind of start looking in places you didn't look before. Mm-hmm. But like the macroeconomics aren't that great. But I think for multifamily, like the big thing is like are the at the end of the day, are the rents undervalued? Right. Like if the current rents are like average six fifty a month and there's clear rental comps for $750 for the same non-rehab units. That's what I'm going that's for me personally, that's what it is. But at the end of the day, it's all what comes at the end of the spreadsheets. Right. The inputs have to be good. Are those, you can't, it can't just be, oh, we're just going to bump it up by a hundred bucks and then bump it up by another 50 bucks after we put $5,000 rehab into the, the deal. Like it mm-hmm. needs to be true rental comps. So that's another big thing that LPs need to do is vet those, those rental cops on their own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. All right. Well, in wrapping things up, like Kyle mentioned, I'm going to ask you our final four questions. You ready? Sure. Sure. All right. So what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without?
2: I think Google Drive is what I use a lot. Like I, I you know, I keep all the old deals and then just kind of backtrack it and then it's kind of I put mines in folders where the, the name of the deal and the market. So that it, it's kind of funny, like the same ones keep popping up. They just get retraded. So it's kind of funny to see how the story gets marketed differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, multifamily, I don't really use Zillow, right? I mean, it's it, it's very hard to kind of get rental comps from that. Um, it's more institutionalized. You're using like CoStar reports and stuff like that, which the average mm-hmm. Joe just can't get a, his hands on.
1: You find that Google drive can kind of hold everything and you don't need a CRM.
2: Um, well, I, I use like, I paid for the, the pro subscription, so I just throw everything in there. It's more about like just checking old stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of brushed on this a little bit. Don't know if it's your biggest mistake, but if you can tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far and what is the main takeaway for our listeners?
2: Um yeah we so we talked about the thing about no liquor like, trust so I won't beat that to death. Um I I would say so I talked to a lot of people and like they they have this mindset that they're just going to keep getting single family homes. Um uh, I think if I were to do things over again, I wouldn't get 11 single family homes. I would just get maybe 3 or 4 mm-hmm. and then really try and learn an asset class. Um, whether it be apartments, uh, mobile home park, self-storage, like get good at something and stick with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there, the fi- there's a fine line or there's a gray area between going from a single family home direct investor on your own to going to more as a passive investor in larger deals as an LP. Uh I mean, I, I've kind of stepped into, like, this realm of more wealthier investors, and this that's what they do. They go into private placements. Their time is more valuable than flipping some houses and
1: mm-hmm.
2: getting dirty and stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. All right. Uh, what is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level?
2: Uh, I need to chill out and get some hobbies <laughs> here. I mean, I... I still work the day job so that kind of takes some time out of the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I want to try and like cool it on my investing a little bit. Like I did a lot last year and I feel like we're kind of at the top at this point. I mean the the 10-year and the two-year sort of inverted a little bit or inverted those those curves and that's something I just kind of learned about as an interesting phenomenon and then you know like the what was a couple weeks ago the the Fed raised rates, but the 10-year Treasury went down, so rates actually went down, which is weird. That's basically, the way I read it is like the Fed is raising rates, but all the smart money is, knows that they're just calling, they're basically calling their bluff.
0: Yeah. The economy
2: is not that strong. And I just see rents in like Seattle or Bay Area coming down. And you see, you're seeing a lot of deceleration in even the stronger markets like Dallas. Which doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that you should invest, right? Like, just make sure the numbers are, like, conservative using one and a half, two and a half rent, rent increases per year, and you should be fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And lastly, where can people find out more about you?
2: Um, they can go to my podcast, Simple Passive Cash Flow on iTunes, Google Play. But, yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, my email is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and experience with us all. I think you gave our listeners such a great insight on the perks of being a passive investor and how truly easy it is to just get started.
2: Yeah, just do it, guys.
1: (laughs) All right, well, with that being said, thank you everyone for spending some time with us. Lean, I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for being on the show. Okay, thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Passive Income through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.